Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is a World Cup Monday. Uh, I'm here with Tammy. Tammy, what, have you been watching this World Cup? It started okay. yesterday. No, I haven't yet. But I think I'm going to go to a Korean bar tonight, so we'll see. Oh, really? Okay. Is it, a, it must be a big deal there, Yeah, right? I think it's a huge deal here compared to the States. Where are you watching yeah. it? Just at home? Yeah, I just watched it at home. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's a big deal in every country, I think. <laughs> yeah. Except the United <laughs> totally. States. And um, I, I watched it in Mexico a couple of times, and both times oh, wow. it was like crazy. You know, like every single restaurant was converted into a, like they all had televisions and they were all converted into watching spaces, I you know, imagine. and yeah. it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, but I don't know, the United States, I think there's just too many sports here or something like that, or, you know, maybe low expectations, but the people who are into it are super into it, but uh, it's not quite like Korea. Korea seems like they have a very tough road. They have to, they're in a group with like Ghana and Portugal I and- see. Uruguay, who I think are all I basing this absolutely on nothing except, you know, <laughs> general vibes. But I think all three of those teams are pretty good. Um, but how's uh, the US pl- team? Well, they tied today, okay. which was disappointing. They tied Wales, which hadn't been in the World Cup since 1958. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, this this World Cup is so strange just because it's in Qatar. Yeah. And totally. like nobody really knows how to talk about it you know because yeah. it's like part of it is like well fifa is bad and all and people died making these stadiums and this whole thing is corrupt and it's kind of like okay all that is true you know <laughs> yes <laughs> but i'd like to watch these games <laughs> <laughs> and like is this like the labor ex- equivalent of like the concussions in the nfl <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was like, why are we expect? Like, we all know that it's just weird. It's, it, I feel the same way about the NCAA. Of course, FIFA, yeah. I think, is worse by magnitudes, but <laughs> like the NCAA is a, a horrible cartel and it, you know, is just evil in every single way. It exploits, you know, young people for every number of reasons and is corrupt from top to bottom. And yet, when the basketball starts, <laughs> I kind of be like, listen. <laughs> Give me two weeks here. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even one week, you know, like afterwards. Until Carolina loses, it's going to be okay. I think that's what everyone's going through. But I just don't know what to do about this FIFA thing. The Olympics, of yeah. course, is the same way. I was going to say, know? Yeah. I think like, the cutter thing is like, it does seem kind of extraordinary, but I'm not sure if there's also a kind of like Orientalist thing happening in some of the analyses. Because there yeah. is a vibe of sort of like, this is such an exceptional construction project. This sort of labor violation has never occurred before, which of course isn't really true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I, it, it's bad. <laughs> but you need to it's watch just, soccer. It's just bad, but it's like <laughs> on, you know? And so like, what, what are people going to do? You know, everyone's going to watch this thing. And FIFA, I, I feel like every... They had like a good three-year run at really trying to nail down FIFA, you know, and the world's opinion of FIFA changed, I think, drastically. Hmm. And yet, you know, (laughs) it's just still FIFA. (laughs) Like nothing changed. Nothing. It's just more people are mad at it, you know, but that seems to be the theme of the world today. Um, Okay, well, we have a lot to talk about in terms of 
people trying to get mad and change things, right? And we hope that, you know, in more pleasant places, I think, and perhaps more changeable places than world international soccer, which, you know, honestly just seems like, look, it's just going to be corrupt. Right. And so I don't know what, which one, how, what order do you <laughs> want to do this in? Because, um, you know, I have, I wanted to talk a little bit about the UC student strike, right. Which are the, I'm sorry, the UC grad worker strike, right. Which is, um, yeah, I think entering its Let's second week now or, yeah. um, I want to yeah, hear what you've yeah. seen. It's so huge. It's a massive strike. Right. So for the people who don't know, about 45,000 UC graduate workers uh, across the UC system. So it's not just here in Berkeley or LA. It's also in Merced. It's in Riverside, Santa Barbara, Santa Cruz. It's like the 10 major campuses, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Graduate workers went on strike. They had been planning this for a bit. I think they are, um, you know, under the, I think they're under the organization of United Auto Workers, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, um, they are striking for, you know, the timing is pretty good for them, I think, because like the reality of it, I've been talking to some people, you know, around Berkeley who uh, may or may not be in this position, but they mm-hmm. have, you know, students, they, they rely on graduate students for grading <laughs> and for teaching, yeah. right? All this and small finals are coming. And all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, finals yeah. are coming right, up. Yeah. And like, <laughs> basically, the road to rubber point is just like, "Hello, tenured professor, would you like to grade <laughs> these finals?" <laughs> right? And like, the answer is obviously, um, not only no, I would not like to grade these finals. It's like I don't know how to. <laughs> I haven't done you know? it in thirty years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I haven't done it since I was making like fourteen thousand exactly. dollars a year in nineteen ninety three or something like that. Right, and so. Um, you know, it's been, it's whenever, wherever you drive here in Berkeley, you see, uh, not wherever, but you know, if you drive around Berkeley, you see students, they're posted up and, uh, all across the city, you know, they're doing Um, like the street corners thing or yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw some in front of the place where I played tennis actually, you know, and, um, uh, which is like not that close to campus. Right. And then there's people who are doing strategic outposts, you know, in the places that are most visible. So that would be like Sather Gate, which is where, you know, I don't know, Sproul Hall. That's where like the free speech mm-hmm. movement and everything happened. Gotcha. But basically corners where people will see mm-hmm. um, around campus. And uh, it is, I would say it's been very cool to see. And, um, you know, the conditions that they are, there's a lot of different demands, but generally the base I think is like, we do not get paid enough to do the amount of work that we're doing and we don't get paid enough to live. Right. Right. And so, um, I don't know what, like, it depends on departments and it depends on the actual school you're at, but let's yeah. say like a yeah. average student at Cal will get like $36,000 a year or something like that. Right. Um, graduate student. Now, if you're in STEM, some some of the STEM students get paid more. Sometimes it's up to the discretion of the departments themselves, mm-hmm. right? But like, let's say that that's like a good, good like encapsulation of it, about thirty six to forty thousand dollars. At more of the like the at Berkeley, but maybe much less at other places. I was seeing like twenty thousand, twenty four thousand. Right, it's at places like Merced or yeah. or Riverside. It can be lower. Right. But, um, you know, like to rent a place here, it's going to be about two grand, right? A month. 
And so the yeah. math just doesn't work out. Everybody is rent burdened, right? Um, in terms of having to pay more than 35 or whatever percent of their um, salary and rent. But it's, it's, I mean, 35% seems like generous to me, you know, like if, if I think it's students way are, more than that, right? Right. I think 50, it's like 60%. 50, 60% exactly. of yeah. are, are going like, yeah. 35% means that you're struggling right. is, is my only point. But totally. like if you're yeah. 50 or 60%, right. then yeah. <laughs> like you're going to either have to have wealthy family members or you're going to have to find another job or some other way to make income. That's right. And so uh, the second part of it is that the university is basically relying on these graduate workers to do a lot of the labor, right, at a low cost. And the idea was always that like, this is an apprenticeship. It's not really a job, yeah. right? And once you're done with this, you can enter the job market and you can get, you can be me, right? Not me, but, you know, like me if I was a professor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not Jake. <laughs> but, but obviously for people, particularly in the humanities, that end goal is just not happening because of the academic job market, right? And so that's, I think, like that's basically, I think the core of it, right? Yeah. Like there's not, there are other demands. Um, there are other fights like that are tied up in this, but I think that's the core of it. It is like a, we do not get paid enough and we're doing too much of the labor. And also like, there's no hope for us if we even if we finish this thing, like the apprenticeship model is broken. Right? Right. I don't know. Is that, does that, is that, does that line up generally with what you've heard about? Yeah, this? I think that's exactly right. And I think it also ties into something we've talked about before, which is pervasive in society, but I think especially in academia, which is this kind of um, move to just make these campuses sort of like a consumer-driven model where the focus is on like capital improvements and kind of like right. the showiness of the campus. And um, there are fewer faculty positions, more administrative positions, so you're squeezing out this kind of pipeline. Um, and, and yet there's still sort of the administration is still sticking to this kind of story about the role of graduate <clears throat> students and their labor in the university when in fact it has changed completely. Um, I was curious, Jay, if you, through talking to people, had a sense of fault lines, because two things I was wondering about is one, like the, the sort of elite campuses versus the less elite campuses, right, kind of what right. that organizing looks like. And the second fault line is a kind of historic one in all academic organizing, which is kind of between STEM and the humanities. Right, right. Um, what are you seeing? Well, I think that, uh, look, the UC system has always had this problem, which is that when people talk about the UC system, they're talking in a lot of ways about UCLA and Cal. Right. Those are the two flagship universities mm -hmm. It used to just be Cal. But now UCLA is extremely prestigious and in some ways harder to get into than Cal. Right. And that um, the other campuses are kind of like also rants in this. Right. And so I think that the fault lines that are potentially opening up is that if th one of the ideas that I've heard is that they would tab pay in the in whatever they agree to cost of living locally, right? Okay. That seems like a horrific idea to me because what that does is it means that LA and Cal went out again, you know, and somebody who is in Merced, for example, or somebody who's in San Bernardino, I'm sorry, not San Bernardino, you know, Riverside, mm -hmm. um, ends up with less, right? That seems like a f big fault line that could open up. Like if I was at 
Merced or Riverside, I'd be like, what? You know, yeah. like, like we're doing it so that the fancy, so that the fancy grad students will get paid more, you know, like than me, you know, like based on what, right? Is that like, what the, I mean, the UC system is pushing? Do you know? Is that like a... No, this is just something that I've heard from, gotcha. you know, that is like a potential solution. Now, that would be bad, right? Now, in terms of the STEM and humanities thing, I don't think that it's necessarily big or like a rift within the within the workers themselves, right? But within the public perception of it, absolutely, right? And that does create some downward pressure, which is just that like the STEM majors can just go out and they can find jobs and they'll be paid well, right? Like if you are, a, you know, chemistry PhD student, or if you are a computer science PhD student at Cal, then you're going to like, you're going to find a job most likely that pays pretty well right now for the humanities. I think that's probably also kind of true, but it's not just maybe not going to be in the field that you're studying. Like you could go work at a hedge fund, right? Like hedge funds, like people who have different backgrounds and stuff like that. If you're like, listen, I'm like a romance language. Or you're an anthropologist. You can go work for the military. (laughs) Right. Right. You can be pretty well by the military. Um, And I don't really see that opening up yet, but I imagine that as this thing goes on, that maybe it will, right? Like maybe there will be less patience from some of the STEM um, graduate workers. But I also think that they also like are not happy either because they're also being paid poorly, you know? Um, And uh, I think that the amount, at least as far as I can see, the fact that they got this thing out the door and that it's happening, like shows like an, a massive amount of organizing skill, at least in my opinion, right? Yeah. Because you do have people with very different, um, you just have people with very different outlooks on life. Yeah. You have a huge network of people across the state, right? And you have people who, you know, like have very different ideas about what the purpose of what they're doing is. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you have some people who are facing a pretty good job market and you have some people who are facing like a non-existent job market. Right. Yeah. And so how do you get all those people together? Yeah. Um, so I think that they've done a very good job in that sort of way. But I think that those fault lines will, you know, like it's with everything. The more downward, pre- the more pressure there is, the more those fault lines for sure will show up. And I think internally within the university, I, I just from like my reading and news outlets and on blogs and stuff, it does seem like some of the science departments there's been less solidarity from the professors. And so they're putting pressure on the graduate students. And of course, like in science, it seems like the lab workers and all these people have, um, in a way, like even more than in the humanities, this role of kind of keeping everything afloat, right, making right. sure experiments are going. Like the, I'm not even sure what the professors do. <laughs> um, and so there, it's, <laughs> it seems like, like I was reading about a chemistry professor who basically is like, in that department, they're just continuing to have all the classes. Yeah. And stuff. So yeah. I wonder about stuff like that also. It's been interesting, the uh, the crossing the line thing. You yeah. Know? I mean, I saw some really great stuff, right? Like, so I went up and there was uh, construction workers who were working on one of the buildings on campus and they had stopped working in solidarity with wow. the strike, right? Um, UPS has stopped doing deliveries to campus because of, you know, wow. they don't want to cross the line. And so those things are amazing that That's they're huge. able to do. <laughs> right. And it's like inspiring, yeah. I think, for the people who are there. The other thing I think that is true that is, you know, a 
what something they should watch out for is that like these are not people with like a history of being involved in activism or or and definitely not labor activism right like mm-hmm. these are these are graduate students and you know like this is for a lot of them that i talked to this was their first thing right mm-hmm. um and so are they going to uh how you know those types of moments i think are probably very inspiring for people you know mm-hmm. to see um and i think that it will probably make them you know dig in a little bit deeper but at this you know the 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 end is of this is like basically the demand is for like 120 percent salary raise right which is like difficult given that yeah. the university system is somewhat cash strapped um what how will that be created well will it be like well we're just gonna have to raise tuitions right like is that something that ultimately is going to turn the public against you know uh the graduate workers right now I think there is pretty good uh, support for them, like for being a graduate, for being like graduate students, yeah. which is like, you know, like, I mean, like, look, people have very nostalgic ideas about what labor yeah, is, exactly. right? And graduate students are not like the ones that, it's not like coal miners or something where people are going to be like, <laughs> yes, you know, like it's right. a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough hill to climb already. Um, and so those questions aren't really. I don't think that they're really resolved yet. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, like in terms of the way that you're doing it, is that one of the demands was to defund the UC police system, mm-hmm. you know? Like, what, what, like I, it seemed interesting to me because it was like, when I talk to people around campus who are not graduate students, when I talk to people who are like professors or even undergrads, like this thing is driving, like they're like, I would, I don't, you know, one of their points is like, I don't get it. You know, why is this in there? And like, um, my answer to them, you know, just conversationally is that it's, you have to build a coalition, right? Like you have to, you have to like listen to people. And sometimes you have to include things that, you know, are probably not going to be in the end, (laughs) right? At the bargaining table, but to get more people involved, you have to do that type of stuff. But it was interesting because it seemed like it was definitely like, something from 2020 that was now part of like the reality of a lot of different types of labor organizing. Is that, is that, is that accurate or not? Well, I think it was just as recent as last year that at some of the UCs and in other places around the country, they were doing camp cops off campus actions. Right. So I think it sort of did outlive the George Floyd moment a bit. I mean, it, I think they're also maybe speaking to some of just the reality of where money is going on campuses. I mean, the investment in cops is not insignificant. I mean, I'm sure obviously they also have in mind like trying to shrink this sort of like pr- the multiplication of like provosts and all this stuff that, you know, is kind of bloating right. um, the administrative ranks and, and diverting money away from research and stuff. And so I think like it seems like a way of pointing out just this question of like there is money in the system. Where is the money in the system? Do we have to buy the UC systems like plea of poverty, which they're constantly going back to? Um, I mean, of course, the hard thing is like once you're at the bargaining table, like it's not the union. No union has any power over management's like, you know, investment decisions or distribution decisions. Um, But I think like to your point, I think it's a kind of rhetorical device also of like broadcasting to the public this this query of like, where is the money? Right. Yeah. I just like that one in particular, I just thought like, well, 
okay, well then you're going to empower the local police departments, right. To sort of do everything from title nine complaints to, um, mm. breaking up parties or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it just seemed like, like, I, I just imagine that most of these things are going to be right. Like if the students can get like a 50% pay raise and I bet, I'm sure it'll be over, right. Like, or something like that. But, um, I don't know. It's been very cool to watch, to see. And like, you know, obviously like I support what they're doing and I'm just kind of wowed by how difficult it must've been to get all those people. Yeah, together, I totally know? agree. I mean, I know, yeah, as you said, it's been a really long running campaign within UAW. Right. Um, it's also striking because, well, I was curious if you could say more about the conversations you had with like the people who are new to the labor movement, because Grad student organizing has now been, we're now like 10, 15 years into a lot of grad student organizing right. through UAW and SCIU. And it seems like that generation of, you know, workers, students is is maybe like much more politicized. I thought maybe they would be more politicized and kind of more used to thinking about themselves as workers than in previous times. But it sounds like some of the folks you talked to, they still felt like, oh, this is totally new. I'm, I'm kind of coming into this blind. I think it's true, though. I think it's very true of the organizers, you know, and of some of the students, right? Some of the student leaders. I don't think it's true necessarily for like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to be racist here, but, you know, like, let's say like Timmy Chen, who's like in. <laughs> you did not. Just do that. Yeah. No, no, but, you know, like, just <laughs> no, bear with me here. But, you know, like who's in like the neuroscience sure, department sure. or something like yeah. that or. Or, you know, like not to just racialize it all completely. I don't know what a white name is, like Sally Smith or something like that, right? Yeah. Who like is in, it was like a, in romance languages or, or art history or something right. like that, right? Like there is like a where place where like you're a graduate student, you do your years of teaching and then you work on your dissertation. And like yeah. maybe you are somewhat cocooned out from it. And you don't really think of yourself that way. But then you start to, you know, right. because you're told yeah. that you should and that, you know, you are very aware of your economic reality exactly. there, yeah. which is that like you have you have no money <laughs> and then you're hyper aware of the job market thing, you know, and like that's where I like wonder sometimes where it's just like, OK, well, I agree with this problem, which is that they are hiring you to do work that they don't want to have to pay a lot for. Yeah. Right? And they are filling positions with you guys, giving you degrees, and then they're, they're promising you an outcome. And that outcome is very, very up in the air right now. And it's almost impossible for them to, in any good faith, promise you any type of teaching job that will exist outside of once you get your PhD. Right now, mm -hmm. for the STEM people, that probably doesn't matter. Right? Like they're, you know, I mean, I think it matters for some, but a lot of them are just going to be like, okay, I'll just go work in the, you know, private sector and I'll be rich. You know, it's fine. Right. right. And for yeah. a lot of them, that's probably what they wanted. But I don't know. I mean, I don't, how do you like, that is one question that I just had, which is just like, what if the response from the university is just like, well, we're going to just cut a lot of these programs, you know? Um, and we'll give some of you 120% raise, but like in a few years, like some of your jobs that you have just won't exist anymore, right? Mm. Like that could be an outcome, right? And I wonder how the students feel about that. Yeah. So you, you think it, like cutting entire programs, essentially, like gutting particular programs. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I guess it's possible. I mean, 
even though, you know, some it's, I mean, it seems less possible, obviously, at like the, at UC Berkeley or LA right. or UCSD. Right. Um, I think on the smaller campuses, I don't know. I mean, um, it would just be such a threat to their, you know, marketability <laughs> to recruit students that I do. Right, right, right. right. Like you can't be like that. an English major. Yeah, because yeah. there still is like that competition. Um, I'm curious about like if we pretend to meet Chen also as an international student. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you have thoughts on that, like May had sent us um, a link. It seems like the UCs are starting to make threats against the international students. Who are well, Sandy, there is some tweet that said that San Diego had done that right with visa workers and I don't know, like, I, I, I don't want to, like, say that that's true. Because yeah, we don't have a, confirmation. We, we don't have confirmation that that's happening. I, as far as I can tell, like, the UCs are probably going to be willing to play some hardball. But, like, you know, like, that honestly seems like that would calcify public opinion against yeah, them. Yeah, I hope so, You know, yeah. in California, like, I think there are places where it would right. not do it. And I think if I was them, I would just be like, look, public opinion is going to swing against in our way over like a period of time anyway, you know, because like we said, like, this is not like, it, this is a, like, there is like a PR, like there's a PR challenge with this one For right, sure. to say the yeah. least. Um, but I don't know who knows people make bad decisions all the time. Maybe <laughs> my like sense of this thing is not right, but um, that would seem like incredibly cruel and it also would seem like it would be fuel to like even for the students to even dig in deeper, yeah. right? Like on, on so. this sort of That's stuff. That's always right? been such a hard group to organize for this reason, right. for vulnerability. So. Right, because they also like, they probably don't understand, like a lot of the international students are probably uh, like their, their perspective on what they're going to do with this degree is very different than, you know, like. Uh, U.S. born students, right? Like a lot of them are just going to go back to whatever, to the country that they're in and they have a different path, right? Like it's not like they're entering the U.S. job market. Some of them will, right? Yeah. But a lot of them won't. So yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, but as far as I can tell, you know, like people honk, like there's a lot of energy around it and the students seem very, um, like the undergrads, right? Like they seem like they're, I don't think, I think a lot of them don't want to cross the line either, yeah, right? Nice. And um but it'll all come. The first rubber hit the road moment will definitely be finals, right? And that's where uh, some parents and some students are going to be like, "Yeah, what the fuck? What's going on?" You know, is that <laughs> yeah. early December? Or? Yeah, it's early December, so it's soon. You know, yeah. it's coming. Yeah. Um, but I imagine it'll just keep going until then. I mean, I don't understand. Like, what's the UC is going to do? Like, just be like, "Oh yeah, here's your 120 percent raise." <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if, I mean, I guess it's possible that they could have some sort of like temporary agreement, you know, where they get enough concessions or something to move forward. But it does seem kind of improbable for the rest of this semester. So I wonder. Yeah, Um, it is cool, though. I was very, um, I was, I was pretty, um, I thought it was cool. And, you know, I think that that some of the good it's interesting how like watch, you know, because like a lot of obviously the professors are very interested in this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I think the prof- from the professors, there's a sense that, like, I want to support this, right? And I just, but I don't know how the UCs are going to give you this much gonna- of a raise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But, like, obviously, people, it's a negotiation. People start out with, like, a 
high number That's right, and then yeah. negotiate. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, I think it's also a very fluid process because there are these kind of like bottom line wage issues, but there are other kinds of economic, you know, things that go into a contract. And so we'll sort of see how the UCs approach that question. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, what, what, what would some of the other stuff be like, what, like, uh, like what, what, what could you imagine being like, uh, you know, sort of coming up. In I think like, for instance, like the level of like, not just kind of like the, the teaching compensation, but it could be like research grants and other sorts of like ancillary funding that can come into the picture for some of these programs. Um, I mean, the contract I think will be very complicated because you'll have probably some sort of base wage situation. Right, I'm, right, I'm just guessing. Right. And then there'll be kind I of think, like, I think that's additives right. yeah. for different departments. So we could see that, you know, coming in. Um, right. I- I feel like right now, I mean, do you have thoughts on, because the new school adjuncts are also on strike and HarperCollins workers are on strike. And those are, you know, obviously everything is kind of small compared to the UC question, but it does feel a little bit like a a white collar kind of moment. Um, And, you know, we've seen some of this before, but, but do you have like, you know, big brain takes on kind of what, what this means or if it means anything? (laughs) No, I just think it's all like, fallout from 2008 still you know um i think that like basically we have like a whole generation or two generations now of people who um went to work in certain fields and are now and we're encouraged to do so right and now they are living like an economic reality that's untenable and um you know it's true in journalism. It's true in in all these fields, um, uh, except for the ones that are like strongly unionized, like Hollywood, right? Like where like you can go be a key grip and you'll be okay. You know, um, if you're a TV writer, then you are going to be pretty pretty good. You know, but um, <laughs> but but in our in like the more like soft industries right it's difficult and academia is the most difficult and i don't know how to resolve this question of like how do you sort of start stripping away from administrative jobs right and um because that actually just ends up being a question of well what is the university for right and um yeah. Some of the jobs that would be first on the chopping block are not the jobs that I think that the people on the left would want to be the first on the chopping block, right? But um, is the university there to make a bunch of money for the university, right? And to like increase the prestige of the university? Probably, you know? <laughs> so, like, then the <laughs> follow-up question is just like, okay, well, why do we have so much respect for the universe and deference for the university and it's like processes and that's a question i can't ask because i as an individual have zero respect for those things you know (laughs) (laughs) i can't answer it like i don't i don't understand why people do but you don't feel a certain romance around the the public university system i mean no no not at all no i mean i like maybe it's because i grew up on the campus of UNC Chapel Hill and now live in Berkeley and it's like two most like full of themselves public universities ever. <laughs> I think that public un- state universities are a wonderful thing and that they should certainly yeah, I feel... be promoted and, and funded better. But like, like, do I think that like, you know, it is like a really great 
I don't know. Like, do I think that like taxpayers should be like supporting all this sort of infrastructure and these like mega universities that become like the pride of every? No, I don't think that. You know, I think that like, like I think that a lot of that is very silly. Like, I mean, Cal spent so much money on this football stadium, you know, because they're like, okay, yeah. we're going to be a different type of school, and now everybody's taking a bath on it for years and years and years. And I just think like. That's like one person making a bad decision, you know, and we're all stuck with that. Bill, yeah. You know, and I'm just like, like, I just don't feel like they should be empowered to make decisions. But, don't they, but exactly. <laughs> but I think don't these strikes like raise that question of like, why is it that we can't pay our bills, but there's this ridiculous oh, for stadium? Sure. For so, sure. Yeah. But so I feel like, I don't know, for me, it is like these strikes to me are kind of like in the spirit of the romance of this kind of ideal university. Oh, ideal. no, it is. It is. They yeah. definitely are. Yeah. I just, that's a part that I just can't get but you're too just much like, on no. board with. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. um, Cause they'll always be these sort of machines. Like you can't. Well, yeah. Like one of the students said, <laughs> like I'm being a bit like cruel here, but you know, like one of the people said like, you know, I really do believe in like the life of the mind and like, you know, sort yeah. of pursuing it through, the university system and in my head i was just like oh my god <laughs> I, was like, I just don't Dang. believe in that <laughs> Do you? <laughs> i feel like they're oh that god. they should be paid more because they're underpaid and because they're being exploited by like a university system that is using them and hiring them as cheap labor you know and that that is very clear to me and that that should end you know? agree <laughs> but like where else i mean okay but if you want to have the life of the mind in our society like where else do you go I don't know, you know, like uh, what's his name was like a insurance salesman, that poet, you know. <laughs> like there's like you know, <laughs> you're gonna be like Matt, Matt Damon in in Goodwill Hunting, you know, was a janitor and he was able to read hundreds of books oh, a, de- a night from the public library. <laughs> I don't want to be I don't want to be difficult about it, but you know, like I think that there are definitely there are look. I'll just put it this way: I think like that. As long as these systems exist and as long as the public is fed this idea of the university, right, that it should absolutely be supported by a livable wages. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't buy into the romance of the university. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't. Fair enough. <laughs> like, fair enough. Like, I hate I mean, college. I think that I feel like that's healthy. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. but if you're not, def- I feel like if you're not Wallace Stevens or the character in Goodwill, it is Wallace you know, Stevens. We gotta that's figure out something else. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that's kind of interesting about, just like a note on UAW, is like UAW in recent years is like one of the worst and most corrupt unions, large unions in our country. Um, yeah. But like the the graduate student and adjunct uh, instructor organizing within UAW has this like very kind of lefty, like democratic feeling. And I always like kind of laugh because I, I wonder how the sort of corrupt stalwarts within the UAW see this part of the organization. Yeah. They're you know? probably, I mean, like they're like, how are we getting better with these? <laughs> exactly. A bunch of like young like, commies, like right. messing up our nights at the bar, you know, drinking crystal or whatever. I know. Uh, like I, was, I saw some of <laughs> our signs me joy. up and it was like all these freaks on at UC Berkeley. <laughs> I know. It makes me happy. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is, I, look, the end thing that we'll say is that, like, much, you know, energy and solidarity to the to the workers there just because, like, I don't, it's, you know, I don't know. I just hope that what comes out of this is 
a livable situation for them because like the despair is very real yeah. you know of like you talk to some of these students and um it's not like i think some of the people are just like well you signed up for this right and i don't think that the workers there feel like they've been tricked right it's more just that like they see other people struggling around them and they see people coming in every single year and they just realize that it's going to keep going on like this for yeah. interminably because the university is getting cheap labor from them right totally. and like it it should end and like the only way that it can end is that like they have to do something drastic which is what they did right yeah. and so like on the base merits like i just find it very hard to like argue with the with the graduate workers now you know how much sympathy the public is going to have with them i don't know yeah you know, be- well and i think like the like if you look at the new school strike like with the adjuncts like it's this is all kind of like a continuum because those are also the jobs that the graduate students are going to get, right? Right, because right, there's no tenure right. jobs, and the housing markets in these country in these cities are totally impossible. So, I mean, that's another thing. I think, like, okay, if the university could figure out a better housing situation, subsidize housing for a bunch of workers, that that might be interesting. Um, this also obviously relates to questions of like student loans and student debt that all these people. Yeah, have. And our our friend Ned Reznikov wrote a pretty good piece, I thought, about the strike and about housing, you know? Mm, okay, cool. And, like, here in the Bay Area, like, the idea that there's going to be a ton of housing built for the students is, like, a fantasy because we can't build a, a quadplex. You <laughs> yeah, know? I was going to say a duplex <laughs> condo is, like, impossible. Yeah, no, that's impossible. <laughs> uh, like, literally, so like, Why yeah, like, I've... Like they, I mean, um, and so that's hard, right? And like they were gonna do this whole thing on um, student housing and everything on People's Park, and that's all right. held up now because, like, they, I, th- in my opinion, at least made a poor choice of trying to hammer it through at that one spot that people felt very strongly about, you know. Oh, I see. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the baseline is like the amount you're paying us and the rent that we have to pay do not work together right right and like that's that's i think that is like the core of it and like that is something that people should feel very sympathetic towards because a lot of people are in that situation right and um and that is not just true in la and and in the bay area it's true throughout california you know Mm -hmm. like it's not like Irvine has like cheap housing. Oh my God. Isn't it? It's like very expensive there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But it's not like, you know, like it's not like Santa Barbara, you know. There's nowhere cheap to go. Housing. Yeah. There's yeah. nowhere to go. Like it's yeah. like we're in this like horrific housing situation. It's just not getting any better and it's probably just going to get worse. And so, you know, like what are you going to do? You have to raise the wages, right? Like yeah. there's nothing else that you can do about it. Um, okay. There are other, there are other, labor or things going on right now like starbucks had their i think it's called the red red cup rebellion that's right yeah um holiday cups <laughs> yeah the holiday cups yeah, yeah. um i <laughs> i thought that was very they're good really branding. creative like i really feel like that campaign has had a lot of good like pr moves and right right um, um yeah starbucks won't bargain with them so they're trying to force that we have like the rail voting that we've talked about the railway workers voting um is still going on around that contract that biden's trying to push down their throats so like um, what is the deal there because it seems it was i read about yeah. it and it seems very like 
like it seems like it's very close it's like basically like a 51 50 49 type of situation right like where some of the or some of the organizations are saying yes but even internally they're very split right about taking what the Biden administration is is doing so um yeah, so yeah, we're seeing was, like a slow rollout of the results of the different votes from the the various unions that make up that workforce, right. and so they'll then be essentially like a tally of that. Um, it is possible, though, that just because of the way the industry is structured, that the feds will intervene even further. So even if, you know, sort of like regardless of the way the vote goes, there could be more intervention from Walsh and Biden. Um, but I think it's a really it's. I think like that issue is like fascinating. And I think we're obviously seeing a lot of logistics pushback around the world because of the sort of supply, you know, chain issues that have come up during the pandemic. Um, Like in South Korea too, like last year, there was a big truck, trucker rebellion. It seems like the public sector um, train workers in Korea are probably going to go on strike next month. Oh, wow. Um, So there's a lot going on. I think the UK is obviously seeing a lot of strikes right now. Um, Feels like something's in the air. I don't know. I mean, these are still like relatively small numbers. We're not really talking about like crippling the economy, although a well, rail the stoppage. Well, the U.S. Yeah, exactly. rail stoppage is two if billion dollars a day. If the rail stoppage were to happen, yeah. that would be huge. Um, and it yeah. seems like the the concerns in the rail stoppage are the same as they were before, which is that it's all around like sick pay or sick day, days off, right? Like basically, can you take exactly. like a sick day, right? And that. Um, it seems like, uh, yeah, that, there was a piece in the Washington Post where, like, uh, the legislative director of Smart Transportation, I think that's the conductors' union, um, said that members voted to reject the contract. This is the one of the this is one of the sort of individual groups that voted against it because they were angry and stressed over points-based attendance policies. "Quote: It's about attendance policies, sick time, fatigue, and the lack of family time," Cassidy said. A lot of these things that cannot be seen but are felt by our membership is destroying their livelihoods. Um, Cassidy said the union would likely immediately resume negotiation with rail carriers as the strike line uh, deadline looms on December 8th, right? And so yeah. December 8th is like not that far away. I it's know. about three weeks from here. <laughs> and like that would be, that one would be huge, right? Yes, like if that starts, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but I agree that like the the Starbucks is still like only like a few dozen Starbucks stores, and like you know the one in England yeah. seems pretty small. But um, yeah, I don't know. It does feel like something's in the air. Um, but uh, I, don't know. I know I don't. It's hard. I, I think like the Star to me the Starbucks campaign and the Amazon campaign was a little bit like this too. Is it's such a great illustration of how feeble the NLRB is. And just like the kind of labor law infrastructure generally, like I think the Starbucks folks have been really smart about both using labor law, but also being kind of realistic about its limits. Right. The thing is like the NLRB has been trying to force Starbucks to bargain and to not do all of its union busting and it's shutting down like dozens of stores, but there's really very little that can actually be done. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I don't know, like short of a total kind of revolution in our labor law, it's hard to envision like how that would change. And so I don't know what the what the answer is. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a kind of like great boycott type situation, although maybe we could get to that point. Um, it just seems like a very, um, even though it's a fairly small campaign, like in the large, you know, kind of picture of what Starbucks is, it's also so indicative of just service labor generally. Right, right, right. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just, it feels like every, there's like, 
worrying up and then a dying down and then worrying up and then a dining down. And the hope is that each time it whirs up, there's more momentum, right? And I so, right. Um, I don't know, like you had that big moment with Amazon, right? Christian Small is becoming like a, you know, all in, you know, like basically a celebrity for a while, right? And um, I don't think that, like, I, I'm actually quite optimistic about this type of stuff just because I think people's living conditions are pretty bad. Yeah. Right? And that um, I think a lot of the work that started with Occupy and everything like that, I don't know. I just think that, like, the contempt for the wealthy is pretty high, you know? <laughs> and, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that it matters for stuff like Twitter where it's like, oh, well, you know, like, Elon Musk is, like, making people work too hard or something. Like, I don't think the public cares about that, you know? (laughs) But I do think that, you know, the contempt for people like Elon Musk is very high, you know? And I think that um, in places where maybe the labor question is not like, oh, are you going to work here and are you going to work really hard? Like, you know, when it's like, do you have sick days, for example? You know, like, can you take a day off if, like, you don't feel well or if someone in your family gets sick. Right. Like those will, I think those will continue. You know, yeah. like people are just fed up with shit. Like, um, I hope at least. You know, I hope so. You know. We talked about Striketober last year, but it seems more like Strike strike Vember <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> strike Vember. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I just wonder, like, are we still seeing these kind of, um, are these all also after effects of, like, the p- coming out of a pandemic economy? Like, I, we're, we're too, like, close to the history to kind of, I think, understand, like, what is yeah. long-term I kind of feel that way. But, yeah, it seems like there's something. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to put a bow on it. Okay, well, you tell us about what's happening in Korea now because, like, I saw, you know, like, you've been, you went to, like, the annual labor rally in Korea, right? And I think uh, one of the things that, why don't you just start out and tell us a little bit about how big of a deal this is? Because I think one of the things that people who are not Korean um, or haven't spent much time in Korea don't get is that, like, look, this is like a, this is like a country that loves to protest you know like, it's true <laughs> have a lot of anniversaries for stuff you know where people, <laughs> people do a lot yeah. of marching yeah right and so like yeah just tell us what what like, sure what yeah past few days. yeah so like on november 12th every year in korea there's this sort of like a may day type situation where um the major union federation which is called kctu hosts like a, a big rally and so depending on who you are it's either significant or insignificant it's you know it, it is a hundred thousand people gathering in seoul pretty much every year and kind of shutting down part of the city and uh, making labor demands known and making it clear that there is some sort of labor movement in, in korea so that's symbolically important this year it was also tied to the itaewon deaths all right and these larger questions way, of public accountability Okay. Yeah, just yeah. because the object of the the scorn of the unions right now is definitely like the union administration. Of course, they're always antagonistic to whatever administration is in power, which is fine. Um, right. But I think right now there's a real feeling like that there's a conservative administration that came in kind of on this promise of basically, you know, concentrating wealth further in society. And what does that mean for the working class? Um, yeah, I think like, just like stepping away from the labor question a little bit, there's also been all these protests in the Yongsan area where the president's office is now located, like definitely weekly, sometimes daily. And I think if you're in that neighborhood or just like a, a soul light, you're probably thinking, and if you're not super political, like 
Uh, these are just the protests that have returned after the pandemic, because during the pandemic, there wasn't allowed to be as many people on the streets, but right. Koreans protest everything and it's kind of meaningless. And I think like that's like a very cynical but popular take. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is like, okay, it's like, it's not like here where you kind of, or like in the United States where it's it's much more kind of extraordinary to have mass. Yeah, yeah well, Koreans do protest. Everything. Koreans are really good at protesting. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think like I, I, I was at a dinner the other night where a person was making this point and I honestly was kind of upset by it because I just felt, I feel like, yeah, sure, there is like more of a kind of habit like there's a habituation in the in the society of like being on the streets but it's still a sacrifice for having entire families and you know having people spend hours like marching to say something like i think yeah they also like should be respected you know they also like overthrew the president and they've overthrown yeah like they (laughs) exactly like it's not like they're doing no wins right i totally agree yeah so i i think i feel frustrated sometimes by the blase nature with which people discuss it when they aren't actively involved in it. Oh, I get it. Um, But yeah, I, I guess my feeling in Korea right now is it seems like things could tip in a direction. I don't, it probably not like 2016 where there's like going toward a full impeachment, but some sort of like movement accountability. Um, There's a potential for that. Yeah. How would Itaewon sort of uh, fall into that? I think people are extremely, extremely angry. How is it placed yeah. on the Yoon administration, you know, and yeah. it isn't just like a tragedy? Right? Yeah. Like, what, totally. What's the narrative that's building there? I even saw there's like a push alert from the Times basically at, recently that was saying like, you know, this was um, that there's a lot of people saying that this was like gross negligence from that administration. And I was like, well, wow. That's, that's yeah, push alert, I know? think that's right. I mean, I even had that thought like when it happened, um, the article that was pushed to your phone is a piece by Che Sang-hun that kind of overviews the, like what we know and what we know now is pretty damning. I mean, basically, so Korea's, the Korean government is super centralized and um, we're talking about the district in which the president's office is located Mm -hmm. and where they've been diverting police to like deal with protests against the president for many weeks. Um, There was a lot of knowledge about the crowds that were going to be there um, there was early knowledge of like certain crowd crush indicators that night and absolutely no response. There was still like a hand, only a handful of officers on site in, on that particular, in that particular area of Itaewon. Um, President Yoon's people, to some extent, were, it seems like were aware of what was going on. And again, this is like a very kind of like vertical power structure. And so right. it's not a lot of steps between like a president's office and the Yongsan district office. Sort of right, thing. right, right. Um, and I think like what's really sad too is that all of the higher ups are basically just like throwing the line officers under the bus. I mean, I'm not really here to like defend cops for a living, but there was also a guy who was accused of destroying evidence in one of the district offices who killed himself as this oh, investigation wow. is ongoing and stuff. And so I think it is contributing to is this feeling among the public of like, what is the government for? You know, and what kind of government is the Yoon administration? And we should, yeah. And I think like it's also, Korea's had a bunch of tragedies recently, like mass death events, like including weather events and other things. And right. so I think it's not just this, but it's certainly adding to it. And, you know, the the sort of ghoulishness of the whole situation in Itaewon, it's pretty hard to get out of people's minds. Yeah, it's very interesting in how it's like sort of different than how 
Americans respond to these sorts of mass tragedies, you know, which is, yeah. um, they seem to stick much longer in the public consciousness over there, right? Like the ferry incident and I you know, think like so. here, it's like we have Uvalde and people, it lasts two weeks and that's like the longest that you could ever hope. <sighs> yeah. You know, that, and yeah. um, we had this shooting here in Colorado of like, you know, um, five people died in a nightclub and so you know it's like yeah. the same because they're having a drag show and it's like the um you know it'll last like two days right and i don't know i guess it's just a bigger country with more tragedies but also just one that's totally anesthetized to this type of stuff at this point but um i don't know i i the yeah. sort of how that the unimination i don't know it just seems <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a large segment of the population that's like, why would you blame the president for this? This right, is like a right. tragedy. It's localized. But again, I think like the the kind of geographic concentration, the concentration of power, the way power moves, I think people kind of understand that. And then so it's easy to sort of divert everything up to the president. And sometimes it actually really does make sense to do that. Right. And also, it's just going to be if people are mad at him about anything, they're going to throw him, they're going to they're going to bring up this, right? Like, it's like a that. very powerful, like political tool. Yeah, um, for sure. The last thing we wanted to talk about was uh, the death of Stoughton Lind, right? Um, was this some, like he yeah. was, Tammy, is this something that you wanted to talk yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to quickly shout out Stoughton Lind. We've had like a few different, I guess, obit opportunities on the pod recently, unfortunately. But Stotland, if folks don't know, um, was just like an incredible guy who over more than 90 years of life was one of the early leaders of like freedom, you know, movement. Um, freedom Summer, rights. yeah. He yeah. did Freedom yeah. Summer. He did Freedom Education stuff. He was like, he was a historian. He was a lawyer. He was a public educator. He also, at some point with his wife, Alice, moved to Youngstown, Ohio to help workers in the steel industry. Um, so if you're at all like interested in civil rights, labor rights in the 20th and 21st centuries, he and, and Alice are really key figures. And I think like it's, it's really um, kind of poignant that he passed right now because I think some of the strikes that we were just talking about are very much kind of in his spirit. Like he, even though they had done a lot of work with the United Steelworkers, the Steelworkers at that time were much more kind of like communist and left wing. Um, and over time, I think he developed a real skepticism around like the the big unions and was right, much more right. interested in kind of what small unions and scrappy labor efforts are doing around the country. Um, and then finally, I think in their in their later years, they really turned them to to doing work against mass incarceration and did prison litigation that was really groundbreaking and even went up to the Supreme Court. So, um, yeah, the Lins for me are people to emulate. They like are so have been so principled in their lives. Um, and Stoughton, I think, is is yeah. I hope people know him and read him and kind of think about him in the same way that they would think about. Um, you know, an, an MLK figure or, um, yeah, like a Zinn figure as well. He was close to Howard Zinn. Yeah, his friends Howard Zinn, yeah. I, yeah, it seemed like it was the type of life that one would hope people can still lead, right? Like he was at Yale yeah, right. and then he went and met with the North Vietnamese <laughs> and then he got canceled. <laughs> An early cancellation in our yeah, culture. Yeah, definitely canceled. <laughs> He couldn't go to Yale anymore. Then he went and moved to Chicago, went to law school. And like, you know, like it's like a type of life of like a sort of just 
picking yourself up and not really caring if the sort of institutions that exist are going to, you know, ally against you, right? And you just pick yourself up and you do something else. And totally. like it had it seems like he had like four or five different uh you know, starting with Vietnam. Kind of lives, the, right? Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Like I watched yeah. some video of him with William F. Buckley, like the firing line thing and it was Oh yeah. Yeah, it was cool. You yeah. know, it was like he seemed like he's very like handsome, kind of like cool guy. And you know, William <laughs> yeah. F. Buckley was like the cretin that he always is, you know. So <laughs> this is uh I don't know, I felt I felt very inspired by like, you know, the sort of dive that we did for the episode. Or, or, you know, like some of the stuff that I was yeah, totally. finding out about him. I went to see him and Ellis in Ohio in August. They were living in a retirement community. And he was, like, basically totally 100%, like, in our conversation right. around labor and prisoners' rights. And um, so it seems like he was really lucid and, and still, you know, with it and still doing stuff until the end. So, yeah, really inspiring. Yeah, this generation passing is very sad, you know. Um, it's like there just seems to be a lot of people passing, and they're all old, you know. So it's like it's not like know. some, yeah. but like it just but seems still, like it feels like some. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of people. The heroes of our yeah, like people we looked up to who are much older now are all gone. I guess they're going. Right. Um, okay. Well. Thank you for listening to the show. As a heads up, there's no episode next week because we're going to be prepping our live show um, in New York City with WashU. If you don't know about this, uh, it is at NYU. Are there tickets left still? Can people still sign up? I think so, yeah. Okay. So far, we've had 600 people sign up, um, which is crazy uh, (laughs) to see this thing. And I don't know how, where? Are we playing at like the Meadowlands or something like that? What is this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah people sign up how are people how are more people able to sign up i don't understand like i assume that we would be like in a seminar classroom and there were like nine people i know jay was like i was like we have a theater that can seat hundreds and he's like we're never gonna get anywhere why am i even flying to new york (laughs) anyway i'll be flying to new york which i am (laughs) Uh, not that happy about, but I am very happy to meet all of you. The flight, the flying part is the problem that I don't, there's a part that I don't like, but you can still RSVP. There's a link in our show notes so you can tell your friends and we'll be selling and signing books and hanging out after the show. If you'd like to meet Wa too, this is a good yeah. opportunity. Um, and we're going to be talking about his book. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. So, um, and if you'd like to support the show, it's always the same. You can go to goodbye.substack.com or you can go to uh, patreon.com slash ttsgpod. Tammy, when are you when are you yeah. flying back to the United States? I'm flying back tomorrow. <sighs> oh Finally. my God. So next time we record. Oh yeah, are and we're going to have like to... a... I'm excited. I miss, I miss New York. I miss being back. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you can watch the... Yeah, the World Cup time. I'll watch the World Cup from my bar in Brooklyn. <laughs> But we're also going to have a meetup in um, Cambridge, Mass. next week, I should say. So if you guys want details, just contact us. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, wow. Yeah. Jay's old stomping grounds. Back to my stomping grounds from when I was four. As a child. Yeah. <laughs> As a child. <laughs> um, wow. So you're back tomorrow. I'm back tomorrow. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm definitely sad to leave friends and family here, but I'll be back. All right. Well. 
the reunification of the podcast will start um, in earnest after the Thanksgiving holiday. But for everybody, you know, that listens to the show, we hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. And um, we'll just see you on the other side. Yeah.